Coming up on This Week in Games, Microsoft holds its annual EXO conference, Google makes Stadia's launch as lackluster as possible, and VR has a mixed reality week as two big stories drop. Coming up This Week in Games. It's that time of the week for your video game industry news rundown. I'm your host, Eric McConnell, and we had it all this week. We had drama, we had conferences, announcements, good stories, bad stories, everything you could hope for from the game industry. So let's kick it off. Microsoft held its annual EXO Expo this week, EXO 2019 or EXO 19. It's Microsoft's consumer-facing Xbox event. This is kind of like E3, but really one giant Microsoft advertisement. Lots of games were announced from Microsoft-owned or partnered studios like Obsidian Entertainment, Don't Nod, World's Edge, In Exile Entertainment, and Rare, but we did get some Project xCloud updates. So first off, there will be a consumer preview of Project xCloud next year. It'll launch with over 50 third-party games, and players can utilize a number of Bluetooth gamepads from Razer, and even the PlayStation DualShock 4 will be supported. Nothing groundbreaking, but the 50 third-party games, including the giant list of first-party titles by Microsoft, is kind of like a direct stab at Google, Google, who announced earlier this week that they're only launching Stadia with 12 titles. So, you know, xCloud is already setting itself up to be the uh, streaming platform to kill. Other big announcements from Microsoft were the industry-leading Game Pass. So GameIndustry.biz reported that three months of Xbox Game Pass Ultimate will be offered for $1, and eligible members in select markets will also get one month of EA Access, three months of Discord Nitro, and six months of Spotify Premium all for that $1. That's that's freaking ridiculous. Um, Over 50 new games were announced for Xbox Game Pass. And these titles include big hits like The Witcher 3, Halo Reach, Life is Strange 2, and Rage 2. And again, Game Pass is currently the only subscription kind of worth a damn right now. So Microsoft is willing to take a losing margin to secure more users for it, which means it's amazing value for anyone who owns Xbox. I don't know. Microsoft is killing it. You know, if you look at kind of like how Satya Nadella, their CEO, is running Azure and how he's set up, you know, all the service layers like architect as a service software as a service operating system as a service and he has them all flowing in and out of each other while also working with third parties it pretty much makes it as easy as possible for you to want to use microsoft products that's kind of how they're doing with xbox they're not digging trenches in the traditional sense they're digging trenches in the sense that hey we're offering you like the most games for the lowest amount of money and the highest quality experience and you can do whatever you want you want to bring your playstation 4 controller over do it you know oh i i don't know like i i don't know who's gonna take down microsoft in the next iteration you know the next console wars the cloud gaming wars i mean who's gonna do it they're they're kind of all all the pieces in place right now and you really need to start setting up these pieces like three years ago if you wanted to take them on so it's going to be interesting to see and not to be outdone (laughs) google announced via Reddit post that Stadia will be launching with bare-bone features initially. So I and thousands of other people will be receiving our Founders Edition of Stadia later this week, but unfortunately it is treated as an MVP product and not a full console launch. So 
many of the features touted by Stadia's uh, head, Phil Harrison, like State Share, CrowdPlay, and Streamlink, will not be available at launch and will be slowly rolled out, you know, over the next few months, which also could possibly mean years. Furthermore, Stadia will only have 12 games at launch, none of which are big AAA exclusives that other console launches are normally accommodated with. So it pretty much is going to be a shit show of a launch. Not a good sign for a console that people are already wary of Google's execution and commitment to. And having worked at Google, this is definitely a result of poor leadership and terrible execution that pretty much plagues all Google products, rather than Google's commitment to the idea of Stadia. I think Google is still heavily committed to Stadia. You know, they probably earmarked a lot of engagement around Stadia. They just can't execute on anything. And you can see this with a lot of Google products. You can see this with major Google announcements that happened like two years ago, and you're still waiting on the product, and you're like, where the hell is this thing? You know, I, I don't know. It's like Stadia is one of those things because in the game space, this isn't like a B2B product, you know, like you announce a B2B product and only a small number of people get burnt. You can't announce a game console and come out the gate and claim that you're going to be like taking on all the big giants and then like do this. So I guess they'll have to learn the hard way. <laughs> all right. Next up, legendary game engineer and Facebook employee John Carmack moves on from Oculus and VR at Facebook to focus at focus on AI. So the legendary master of doom himself, John Carmack, um, had quite the story this week after winning the Lifetime Achievement Award. At the VR Awards earlier in the week, Carmack then announced he was moving away from his position as CTO of Oculus to an advisor role and instead will be focusing his efforts on AI at Facebook. I mean, if this isn't a sign of state of VR, then I don't know what is. <laughs> I mean, John Carmack like left id Software, uh, kind of the company he helped start way back in the day with John Romero and Tom Hall and a few of the other um, old Doom and Quake guys left it to join Facebook specifically for Oculus, even got sued by Zenimax, who is like Bethesda's owner, who also owned id. Um, yeah, now he's leaving Oculus. And, you know, it, his interview wasn't quite about like Oculus as a failure. It sounded more like the drama around Oculus and that Oculus in general has so much like eyes and future at Facebook that you get kind of the executive pariahs that come in that want to approve everything even though they have no clue what they're talking about and you see this at a large a lot of big companies whatever the new it product is or the thing that has all the attention of the c-suite all the other vps and executives like little pariahs want to come in and like stop that product and make themselves like oh you have to get my approval now for something that you've been doing on your own for a while so John Carmack sounded like he didn't like that. Don't blame him. Moved on to AI, where it sounds like he'll be able to run development and have his own efforts without oversight. So, pretty interesting. Next up on the VR AR spectrum, Apple is reportedly working on an AR VR combined headset for gaming. Wait, I lied. VR is still cool because Apple's doing it now. So Bloomberg is reporting this rumor, but to be honest, the whole AR headset thing has been a rumor for a long time. I think like since 2017, um, Apple will be releasing an AR VR combined headset in 2021 or 2022 with a lightweight AR headset in 2023. Kind of crazy to be planning hardware releases that far out, you know. Um, this headset will focus on gaming, but will also support productivity needs like virtual meetings, blah, 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 blah. 
we all get the idea. Nothing substantial came from this rumor, and we've heard plenty of Apple rumors working on everything from AR headsets to self-driving cars with nothing to come from it. Take it with a grain of salt. I don't know if Apple did this on purpose to drum up stock interest or make people think it still had cool ideas. Who knows? Also, an AR-VR combined headset. Sounds like a VR headset with a camera, not an AR headset, so just my opinion i don't know it doesn't sound useful uh no one's clamoring for it and again it goes back to like who's going to make the ar vr games you know there's just a lot of questions in the space nothing will probably come of this and now we're off to the big drama of the week with rune 2 developer human head studio shutting down and being instantly revived by bethesda without telling their publisher for rune 2 so the developer of Prey and Rune and recently released Rune 2, Madison, Wisconsin-based Human Heads Studios, shut down earlier this week and was instantly revived as Roundhouse Studios under the RPG powerhouse Bethesda. Everyone at Human Head Studios will offer their exact job at Roundhouse Studios, though Human Head will not release the actual reason for the abrupt shutting of their doors. Rune 2 was just released on the Epic Game Store, which leaves its publisher Ragnarok Games scratching its head about the sudden closure and reopening of the developer's studio. Ragnarok Games said they'll support Rune 2, even though it seems like Human Head Studios will not. Okay, there's a lot more to the story. That's kind of the summary. To me, it's one of two things. Either a studio GM is attempting to save massive amounts of money and pocketing the sales of Rune 2 directly by laying everyone off. So maybe the contracts of the studio had profit sharing or bonuses or something. They just released Rune 2. Like they just released the game they'd been crunching and working on. Shuts down the studio and gets reopened. Sounds like, you know, the someone at Human Heads is probably going to still be getting whatever their cut is with Ragnarok Games in epic game store so it's probably like 30 percent of all sales someone's gonna be pocketing that money it sounds like some gm did this to do that or alternatively the other conspiracy theory is human head studios is pulling some contract bullshit by closing and magically reopening maybe they were obliged to keep making these rune rpg games maybe you know something else maybe they get the ip they get the rune ip if they shut down and ragnarok doesn't get it i don't know there might be some contractual bullshit, and we'll probably never know the truth of it, but this is so fishy. Like, it's so random and so fishy, the publisher didn't even know what's happening. You close the studio, reopen it as a new studio name under Bethesda, and everyone keeps their exact same jobs. So much fishiness. I hope they have a good accountant for their taxes this year. That's all I'm going to say. All right, let's move on to business news. Epic acquires Quixel, the creator and owner of Megascan. So Megascan is one of the most used texture libraries in the game industry. Megascans has tens of thousands of 2D and 3D assets that are used for developing real-life looking textures and games. After the acquisition of Quixel by uh, Epic Completes, all the assets will be available for free on the Unreal Engine and Epic's going to make Quixel's tool sets called Bridge and Mixer also available for free. Now, there's no timeline on this, but, uh, you know, sometime after this acquisition clears, so probably in a quarter, maybe. Um, Unreal is just beefing up at this point. <laughs> I mean, Epic is really setting themselves up to, like, differentiate themselves from Unity by, you know, providing all the stuff that developers who are trying to sell stuff in the 50 to $500 million range would care about. Quixel's 100-person staff will remain in Sweden and now be a part of Epic Games. And yeah, Tim Sweeney's doing it right. Just digging moats around Unreal. 
it's for higher end developers, leave everything else for Unity to scrape up. Since you're getting most of your money from rev share, like, would you rev share a bunch of developers making 500,000 a year? Or would you rev share one developer who makes $500 million a year? So that that's kind of like uh, the difference between Epic Game Stores and Unity. It's not a terribly interesting acquisition, and it's almost as if Fortnite prints too much money and Epic is just figuring out what to do with it. And they're like, hey, we use this. This is cool. These uh, Quixel people seem cool. Let's just buy them. And that's how it almost fills out. I don't really think this is part of some kind of you know, grand strategy. It beefs up Unreal a bit. It gives Epic access to, you know, all these employees, whatever. All right, next up. Tencent continues their aggressive index of the game industry by acquiring a 10% stake in Crackdown Developers' parent company, Sumo Group. So let's start at the beginning. Perwin, an investment group that held nearly 30% stake in Sumo Group, has sold almost a third of their stake to Tencent, giving the Chinese company a 10% minority stake in Sumo Group. Sumo Group is excited as this opens the door to co-development of games or the ever-fruitful Chinese market release of Sumo Group's games. So Sumo Group is one of the owners of Sumo Digital. Sumo Digital is the UK's largest independent developer known for a long list of games that they've either developed themselves or supported the development. So like Crackdown 3 and they even helped support Mortal Kombat 11. Tencent is going to, well, Tencent. And 10% seems to be their favorite uh minority stake to take in a company as they kind of sit back and decide whether to take controlling interests of the company, help it release games in China, or just kind of invest in that company and hold on to it. Yeah, it just seems like like ten like the game industry is a roulette board and Tencent is just placing, you know, hey, let's do red or black, let's pick 32, let's pick 33, and they're they're just placing chips all over the board. And if they place enough chips on the board, the payout isn't exactly a fair ratio. So if they have a mega hit that they got a 10% stake in early on, bam, they made back all their money. So, you know, 10 cent get a 10 cent. All right, next up, (laughs) THQ Nordic Investment Group, Goodbye Kansas Game Invest takes 45% stake in fishing simulator developer Miscellaneous Games. So not the most interesting story, but it has a fun twist. So THQ Nordic and its subsidiary continue to index double a a and b level studios as they take nearly controlling interest in a developer known for fishy simulation the most interesting part of the story are the actual numbers so goodbye kansas game invest initial purchase of 25 percent of miscellaneous games cost 650,000, which means a nordic fishing simulator developer is actually evaluated at 2.6 million dollars pretty crazy <laughs> i thought that was funny all right, last bit of business news. Fan AI raises $8 million in a Series A. So here's a new one. Um, Fan AI is an esports audience monetization platform, platform being a very loose word in this case. And Fan AI is really kind of an analytics firm that will measure and optimize esports marketing and spend for companies. Led by Morubini Corporation, but includes former lead investor Courtside Ventures. The Series A for $8 million follows a seed round of $1.5 million and a venture round of $2.5 million. Fan AI acquired rival esports data firm Waypoint earlier this year. It's hard to know the true value here. So there's so many firms in Silicon Valley right now. Like I walk out, spin around with a rock in my hand and just throw it. And I'll hit a data firm that's you know mining uh, data for video and streaming. And it's kind of a hard question of like, 
What could a company that specializes only in esports bring to the table that a larger company that has hooks in all video and streaming platforms can't? And the answer is, I don't know. Um, just plain armchair marketer, I'd rather have a view of the entire market rather than just a hyper-focused view on esports. However, what normally happens at big companies is you don't just choose one firm to use. So you'll use 20 firms or 10 firms and you'll compare their data against each other. So if you're in the esports market, you're probably going to use fan AI along with other big incumbents that do kind of broad streaming and video data analytics. Makes sense. All right, let's get to the one people news of the week. Double Fine's VP of business, business Development departs Microsoft or departs Double Fine post-Microsoft acquisition. So Greg Rice, the VP of BizDev at Tim Schafer Studio, Double Fine, departs after Microsoft acquired the studio. I'm going to go out of limb. He didn't say this. I'm saying this likely because the studio now owned by Microsoft, a VP of BizDev has much less autonomy and ability to make deals than it did when it was an independent studio. Rice has no immediate plans, but shared mem memories of Double Fine on Twitter. And let's wrap up the week with some uplifting news. Two major game charities finished up this week. So Bungie raised $1.6 million with their Game to Give Pledge Drive. The Destiny community could donate to the pledge for in-game rewards, and the funds will be given to the Children's Miracle Network. And the other one was annual charity streaming event Desert Bus for Hope finishes up at $860,000 raised for Child's Play, a program that donates games and toys to sick children. So great job, game industry. Very proud of us. All right. If you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. Also, leave me a comment and let me know you, how you think I'm doing. And I'll see you guys next week for This Week in Games. Take care.